Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. My guest today is Eric Tarji. Uh, Tarj, Eric Tarj. We had a little uh, mix up on how to pronounce his name. So yes, it's Eric Tarj. Eric joined the staff at Moody Church in 2013, where he now gives leadership and oversight to the college and disability ministry. He's also an adjunct faculty member of Moody Bible Institute, where he teaches a class on um, a theology of disability and ministry. And I explained how I got to know Eric over the last few months. He came out to the Exiles the Babylon Conference, and that began uh, what, what hopefully will be a, a long-term relationship. But this conversation is really relevant because it's been an interest of, of mine for uh, at least a couple of years, and it's also going to be one of the four sessions at the Exiles in Babylon Conference in 2023 here in Boise, Idaho, March 23rd to 25th. We're going to be talking about the future of the church. We're going to be talking about a theology of disability in the church. We're going to be talking about multi-ethnic perspectives on the, on American Christianity. And then we are going to have a conversational debate on the problem of evil and suffering that Saturday morning, March 23rd to 25th. Get your tickets now. At the time of recording, okay, at the time of this recording, we have about 150 pre early bird uh, tickets available. 100 and 50 early bird tickets available. They're at a discounted rate. But by the time you are listening to this recording, the number might be a lot smaller than that. In fact, they might be all sold out. I'm not sure. But all the details are on the Theology in the Raw website, theologyintheraw.com to sign up for Exiles in Babylon 2023. All right, let's get to know Eric Tarj and his theology of disability and the church. Eric, thanks so much for uh, coming on Theology in the Raw. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. I mean, I've been listening to the podcast for about a year and a half, and it has been such a blessing. I was at the conference. And yeah. Yeah, I'm so excited to be able to talk with you about it. So that's how we connected. It was after you came out to the Exiles in Babylon Conference. I don't think. Did we connect? Yeah. Did we talk there or no? I don't remember. No, okay. I don't think so. I think uh, I, I saw you and passed by you a couple okay. times, especially at the after party. Yeah. Uh, okay. But you had swarms of people around <laughs> you. And yeah. I mean, it was packed and it was it was happening. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, that that was um, the after party. So like about 500 people crammed in kind of a small space. It was a blend of cloud nine exhilaration, people oh, that sure. I've seen from a distance, people telling me stories about the podcast, what it's done for mm. their journey. And I was so emotionally overwhelmed in, in, in just, I was just like, I can't, I, I just can't get my heart around these stories. And yet yeah. as an introvert who has been speaking for two days straight to go, to, <laughs> I was like, oh, my wow. body just almost started to shut down. A friend of mine saw me kind of start to just start to kind of like, he saw my face and I was just starting to kind of collapse mentally. And so he kind of pulled me under the oh, dang. I got a little away and I'm like, I just, I, I need to, I think I need to go to bed. Like this is just overwhelming. Yeah. Well, when I saw you nearby, it looked like there, I was like, oh, I'd love to introduce myself. But I saw the sharks going around like everyone was waiting they were circling and like oh when when this person leaves i'm gonna hop in and i was like oh wow everyone's waiting to talk to i didn't even depress that. that's so funny to lay a hand on his garment and i was like yeah i'm just oh gonna. my gosh stop yeah that's so funny so afterwards <laughs> it, was, it was a phenomenal conference yeah so just to tell my audience so you reached out afterwards and said hey um would love to come back next year do you know if you're gonna have a a sign language interpreter at the next yeah. one instantly i was like i felt horrible because i'm like and that was yes, not my intention. <laughs> no, it's great. The answer is yes. And I was instantly felt horrible that we didn't have one at the first one. Why for sure we're having 
one that not only at the next one, but for everyone here on out is because next year we are spending a whole session on a theology of disability in the church. And then you said that's kind of the area. Oh, because you you were asking because you were going to bring out some, I think, leaders who are deaf, right? Or Yeah. So I wanted to really push to my leadership team. I wanted for our disability ministry here at uh, at my church. I serve at the Moody Church in Chicago. And I was like, hey, I'd love to advertise it to my leadership team and even see if I could give them a scholarship to come. But I didn't mm-hmm. want to send it to everyone except for our deaf leaders. Right. I was like, no, I want to make sure that it's accessible to all before advertising it. And right, so right. wanted to hear. And I was so glad yeah. that you guys are planning on doing that for the Absolute, next conference. Absolutely. And um, yeah, it's why I'm, I'm, I'm on a journey with this whole conversation, theology of disability, yeah. uh, which is why I want to have you on. So yeah, tell us a little bit about what you do um, and how, and, and really in general, but also as it pertains to uh, disability. Yeah. So I'm a pastor here at the Moody church. I've been on staff here for uh, let's see, nine years now, uh, eight years of leading the disability ministry. We actually started the disability ministry here eight years ago. And so I've led it to kind of have five different main areas. And we could talk about that in a little bit if you want, because I know uh, one of our conversations that we had was just like, what actually is covered in disability? What parts is disability? What is other things? Uh, And in addition to that, right down the street uh, is a college called Moody Bible Institute. And so I serve there as an adjunct professor. Uh, and so I teach a, cl- a course called Disability Society in the Church. So okay. my main roles are working with university students and disability. And yeah. down at the Institute, I do that. And up here, I do that, though, with students from a lot more different universities in So Chicago. I'm sure there's a story there. How did you get into it? Is this part of your educational background? Is there something in your personal story that's related to disability? Yeah, you know, there there isn't. It's funny. Uh, the reason I got into it has nothing to do with my personal experience with disability, which I think I only reflected on much later in li- like later at, uh, in that journey. But when I was a teenager, uh, I'd gotten saved as a teenager, came to faith in Christ and was at a church where they had a deaf ministry. Uh, and I became friends with a teenager who's about my age. I think he was like a year younger than me. Uh, and we became friends through passing notes back and forth on a piece of paper. He was deaf. His name was Ebby. Uh, was a really good friend for quite a few years. We haven't stayed in as much contact over the years. Uh, but we went back and forth, and he just regularly talked about how there was nothing for deaf teenagers to do. Mm-hmm. And so this was in the days of AIM, if you remember, AOL Instant Messenger. And oh, so yeah. <laughs> we would go back and forth and uh, even on AIM and talking about that. And one night, as he was telling me, I like, hey, there. Yeah, I'm just bored all the time. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna do some some research, uh, and I'm gonna find. This is early 2000s. So I'm like, I'm gonna find out what is there to do. So I went on to askjeeves.com, and I asked Jeeves, uh, <laughs> like, what is there for deaf teens in New York? That's where I'm from. Uh, and so looked into all of that and found nothing. Wow. Like everything was focused on deaf adults. Uh, a lot of stuff in New York is for the deaf LGBT community. That's a okay. longer conversation. There's a lot of intersection between the deaf world and the LGBT world. Really? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? I did not know that. Yeah, there's a lot of intersection. In fact, uh, I think they say the majority of ASL interpreters identify, especially male interpreters, identify as LGBT. So it's a it's a really interesting uh, parallel, and I think it has to do with a lot of the narratives and personal stories of not being uh, mm. fully understood by parents. Like there's just a lot of overlap in mm. uh, in understanding and like in the narrative in the person's narrative, but. 
Yeah, but I'll put that to side for a second. So I started doing research and found uh, with the limited things you could find on Ask Jeeves back then, <laughs> uh, found that it was like, oh, deaf teenagers have a higher rate of depression and anxiety. They had a really high rate, especially in New York, of gang activity and drug abuse. And I was a new believer, uh, just getting involved in our church and went to the leaders and said, hey, I I think we should start uh, a youth group for deaf teenagers. And like one of their first things was like, well, one, who are you? And like, why do you, why would you do that? And like, do you know sign language? <laughs> and my response was, no, I don't know sign language. I don't know any of these things, but I'm, I just, I feel like we need to do this. And I was so blessed uh, that through multiple conversations, they, the church in New York really got the mindset that like, Hey, listen, it's not that we're not reaching out to them. It's not that that's the only problem. The problem is the world is reaching out to them and, and Christians aren't hmm. like we need to move forward. And so that's how I really got entered into disability ministry focused on, on the deaf and then as time has gone on, I've reflected more just realizing uh, some people said, like, well, why is that? Why was that important to you? And for me, I'm like, well, I'm a Christian. Uh, yeah. When I came to faith in Christ, I was like, shouldn't everybody yeah. uh, be welcomed into the body of Christ? Like, there shouldn't be any exclusions. Deaf people shouldn't be, like, turned away from the youth group or those things. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that was a big thing. But also, I grew up with a sibling who had some learning disabilities. Mm -hmm. And my father uh, has chronic illness, severe Crohn's disease since I was little, mm -hmm. which I, I never put into the category of disability until I grew in my understanding of a theology of disability and just how the disability world is seen and went, oh yeah, that affected so much of our lives and affects his life on a daily basis. But wow. yeah, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. Did, what's, your the, what's your educational journey? Did you do a degree in disability ministries or theology or anything? Or is that, is it something that you yeah. just kind of self-taught along the way or? The, yeah. So theology. So I did my bachelor's degree in theology and then did my master's, uh, and just an, I did an MDiv at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so, but throughout most of it, I really did do a lot of focus on a theology of disability. Okay. So okay. whenever I had a paper in class that was like, Hey, you can write on whatever. I was like, hmm. Okay. I wonder what like John Swinton has to say about yeah. this. I wonder what like Stanley Hauerwas was writing a little bit on on mental health and different things. So I yeah. tended to focus on on the disability view yeah. of theology. Yeah. So you, let's come back to that question I asked earlier. Or maybe we'll ask it to you online originally. Like what I, I think I asked you about like mental health. Like if somebody suffers from depression, yeah. is that a disability or anxiety or is mental health questions a different conversation. Yeah, that's such a so it's such a complicated question, right? Yeah. I think for for one because there's such a stigma with disability so that so so many people who have a mental health diagnosis will say, well, I don't I don't see myself as having a disability. I don't want to be seen as having a disability. However, they would recognize that their their different mental health diagnosis is often disabling. And okay. so it, mm. so for that reason, oftentimes mental health is put under disability and especially depending on how that really looks in your life. So for example, someone who experiences depression and anxiety, I find that oftentimes they'll say, oh, well, no, I'm not in the disability ministry, which is why for us at Moody Church, we actually decided uh, there are a few things that we had to say, okay, the disability ministry covers five areas at our church. 
but we know that we have to section certain things out on our website so that people of varying abilities know that we we hear them and we love them and we understand them. So like with mood, with mental health, if you go to the disability ministry page, which is like moodychurch.org forward slash 139, it's based on Psalm 139, fearfully and wonderfully made. You can get there and then you can click to mental health. But a lot of people feel weird about that. And so all they have to do is go to moodychurch.org forward slash mental health and they go okay. to just the mental health page. Okay. And the same thing's true for our deaf ministry. Because a lot of deaf actually reject the term disabled. Really? In fact, that was like, oh, yeah, that was a, a big advocacy movement, especially in 1990, uh, which kind of brought about the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, because of a protest that took place at Gallaudet University, if you've heard of that. Hmm. It's a big deaf college in Washington, D.C., and they had a, a rather large protest when a new president was put in place, a woman who did wasn't deaf. Uh, and didn't know sign language. And so they had a big protest at Gallaudet calling for a deaf president to be installed and someone who knew sign language, uh, which resulted in uh, a guy named I. King Jordan being the first deaf president of an American university. Wow. Uh, and I. King Jordan uh, had acquired deafness, so he wasn't born deaf, but he did know American sign language. And he's famous for uh, a phrase in the deaf community that the deaf can do anything hearing people can do except hear. And mm. so the whole philosophy there and on a lot of the signs and the marches and especially at Gallaudet still today is that deaf is not disabled. And mm. so it tends to take the form of diversity. So the diversity model okay. or the social model of disability as opposed to the medical model of disability. Can you unpack that a little? I, I, I know where you're going with that, but can you unpack the difference there? The, the diversity? Oh, yeah, 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 sure. Yeah. yeah. So there's so many different views just in the disability world. I think that's one of the things that I've I've loved about serving the disability <laughs> ministry and, and just doing disability theology uh, is that I'm regularly interacting with people, especially being in the city, because uh, you have people all over the political spectrum, which yeah. definitely has some influence in your theology. And like all of that, just because they're they're advocating, they're doing different things. So the medical model of disability would look primarily at disability as dealing with the biology of a person. Okay. And so the focus is always on cure or it tends to be a focus on cure. So biomedicine, how does biomedicine help to to cure a person? Whereas the social model of disability will tend to use the word healing. And so you'll find in the, the social model of disability, it tends to focus not simply on a person's, uh, a person's biological difference, but rather how it is that the world responds to that biological difference. Okay. I mean, one of the great examples of this is in John 9, right, where yeah. all of a sudden the disciples, we don't know which disciple it was. I always assume it was Peter because he put his foot in his mouth, right? So Peter says, to, uh, or one of the disciples says to Jesus, who sinned that this man was born blind? Was it him or his parents? Uh, and Jesus says, no, it was so that the glory of God might be put on display. Mm. And so that's one example that many people using the social model will look at and they'll say, listen, disability is has a social component where the world looks in mm -hmm. and has a problem. And rather, God's glory is simply not being seen properly. OK, with that and, and from a Christian perspective, there even in that story, there still is healing of the biology that happens. And even like part of the messianic yeah. vocation is the deaf will hear, the blind will see, uh, there totally. will be a reversal of that. So, I mean, from a Christian perspective, would you say it's kind of a both and, or there is a biological, there is something that needs to be healed 
in the biology? Or? Yeah, I mean, so there's so much debate about this. Like there's yeah. there's really a lot. There's a great book uh, that was written by a woman, Bethany McKinney Fox. She wrote a book about actually the different ways that the narratives of healing are are treated throughout the Gospels. Uh, and she brings out some some interesting points by out how all these different people have read those healing narratives, because some will like there's I think she really brings out like three main ways that people will take it. Either they'll say, like, listen, uh, this isn't to be authoritative. Uh, Jesus was functioning within his time and he was a product of okay. of his time. And so he was uh, he was just trying to heal and he wasn't really seeing the mm-hmm. diversity of the people. Uh, then there are those who would say, no, this is. The body is broken and it needs to be healed. And like your disability is an abnormality that needs to be normalized. And mm-hmm. so you, you tend to get those words of normality rather mm-hmm. than the words that a lot of the disability community uses now of, of typical. They would say right. a typical body as opposed to normalized body, right. a normal body. And then you get another view that would say, hey, it's got to be a little bit more in between. And we've got to figure that out. And for us at Moody Church, it's it's always difficult because, again, urban church, different yeah. places where people are coming from. But the the mindset that I've taken uh, or at least what I've taught, what I've taught our yeah. volunteers as we train them, just our team. Uh, and even when I teach our classes uh, for those with intellectual disabilities, I, I really teach this idea that I I call holy, holy, holy. And it, it comes from basically a conversation I had with a few of the students in our our class for adults with intellectual disabilities. We were going through the story of Doubting Thomas. It was like about seven years ago. So it was like the start of the disability ministry. And we had a curriculum that we don't use anymore. Uh, and it had like a picture of, of Thomas, right? Mm-hmm. So I give a picture of Thomas and a picture of Jesus with his holes in his hands. And we're we're talking about it. And I'm talking about like, uh, the doubt and how it's okay to doubt. And I'm like, that's that's the thing that they really need. And then one of our ladies with Down syndrome asked me, she said, like, she was just so fixated on Jesus. And she said, what about me? And I thought she was talking about doubting. And then we, we as I got mm. further into the conversation, she said, am I going to look like me when mm. I get to heaven? Like, will I have my eyes? Will I have, like, will I have my nose? Will my, will my feet be similar? Or will I be completely different. Will I be like everybody else? Hmm. And so there was this question of, will her diversity mm-hmm. continue in some way in the kingdom? And as we looked at Jesus, who has holes in his hands, yeah. for me, one of the things that as I was reading, I decided to do a whole bunch of reading on this. And yeah. like, I wanted to understand, like, how can I how can I help gain some clarity on this? Uh, I think one of the things that we took away is that for our discipleship process, we want to always help people to understand that you can be holy, 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 meaning mm-hmm. you can have holes in your hands and be holy, like in that way, like there's <laughs> holy. And then yeah. and even if you have holes in your hands, yeah. you can still be whole, W-H-O-L-L-Y, and you can be holy living for Christ. And so it's three different types of of holiness, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but we actually see that in Jesus Christ, that discipleship can be holy, holy, holy. And even as we look at Luke 14, which is like one of the big images of the eschaton, yeah. like one of the things we have to notice is that people with disabilities are at the king's table, which is unsettling, right? Like hmm. Jesus says, like, the kingdom will look like this when he's telling his host that, hey, your table doesn't reflect my table. Uh, your table, like you invited all these people, but if you wanted it to look like 
the the table in the kingdom of heaven, you would have brought in the deaf, the lame, the blind, the foreigner, the mm. refugee. They would have had a, a place at my table, according to Luke 14. And so I think there there is something in that that we would have to say that there is some form of our holiness, H-O-L-E, right, that that does continue into eternity. And I think for me, when I've, when I've had that question, I've said, hey, I think it seems to me whatever is beautiful, whatever is whatever is truly redemptive, whatever brings glory to God, I I believe yeah. that will that'll continue on. Yeah. And yeah. not I don't think the the inhibitions will mm-hmm. continue, but I do believe that as we look at the stories of the gospel, mm-hmm. like the marks of our faithfulness and the marks of uh, of our diversity. Uh, mm-hmm. can continue on. Like you look at people with autism, different, and then the joke in the autism community is if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. Yeah. But but many in the autism community, you find that they have a just a beautiful honesty yeah. that you find nowhere huh. else. So like Lamar Hardwick even talks about this. He says mm-hmm. uh, in his church, you can trust what he says because he's just like, he's like, he's like, I don't he's like my facial depressions. Like my, he's like, I don't read facial expressions properly. And so he says, listen, I'm, I'm just going to speak honestly. And so if that's the case, will that honesty, will that, will that neurodiversity that brings about just absolute honesty continue on? Yeah. yeah like yeah. some of our people with down syndrome, they have this absolutely amazing uninhibited love and hospitality. Yeah. Will that, in, will that continue into the kingdom? Totally. Yeah. And so, yeah. And it's hard to separate those virtues from their disability. Right. I mean, exactly. I've got a good friend of mine here in town. who has got two, he's adopted two kids with down syndrome and him and his wife, the way they talk about how much Jesus they see in their kids is just so precious. Oh. Like they're um, yeah. Ne- never depressed, always like excited to see people like, um, the social, like just love and joy they have and like unaware of just when people are like, like say something mean or whatever, like they're just, they don't even care. It's just like, they're just living in the moment. Like there's so many virtues that they embody and and other things that they miss out on, you know? Um, but it's like, there is that, I think we, I don't know, I'm just kind of thinking out loud, but like, however we connect disability to the fall and resurrection, there yeah. should always be a here and now diversity component to it, right? I mean, yeah. even if, say, his Down syndrome might be changed in the resurrection, he will no longer have that. His chromosomes will look typical. Now, in this, in this, in this already not yet, there is a beautiful diversity component that's intertwined with the disability that God has made beautiful through something that, that might have otherwise not been enjoyable for, for the person or whatever, you know? Yeah. I mean, I even look at it this way. Like, I, I think for me, one of the cha- most challenging things when I was wrestling through that question with our class was how prideful am I that I think she needs a greater transformation mm. than I do? Right. Cause I think yeah. in my mind, I had always assumed I'm like, yeah, eventually you'll get to be like me and how wonderful I am and how like, look at all the things I can do as opposed to, oh, wow, you're going to be transformed into glory and I'm going to be transformed into glory. And there's going to be continuity for both of us. Mm -hmm. And maybe I just don't know what that continuity fully looks like. I don't believe that she's going to have any inhibition. Uh, I think uh, for, for the deaf, 
I don't believe that the the deaf are going to be eternally unable to communicate with with others. But do I believe that there that the ability to use sign language will continue into eternity, mm. that 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 beautiful form of expression will have its place and the pieces of deaf culture, like Revelation says, every kingdom will bring their glory in. It's like, yeah. will the deaf culture be able to bring their glory uh. in? Because they really have a culture. And I look, I'm like, yeah, yeah I think that's going to continue. And all the people that struggled learning ASL in heaven, it won't matter if it took them a million, takes them a million years to figure it out, but they'll be able to do it just as the deaf will be able to, to learn Mandarin. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Like there's certain aspects of the human experience that are created because there is a deaf culture, right? I don't know. I, I've got attention in my mind right now. On the one hand, you know, I look at again, the messianic promise the deaf will hear the blind will see. What is that? Yes. Does that mean the deaf won't? here or only if they want to maybe I, I don't i don't know i don't know um you see jesus healing the deaf as part of the inbreaking of the the new creation from from a natural law standpoint this is something i think i, I brought up to maybe lamar or somebody or just it's more of a question it's like so like i'm deaf in my left ear i don't know if you know that i'm deaf in my left ear and like like i like if you go from a design perspective human almost the ears on homo sapiens are have a design they're they're designed to hear. So if it's not doing that, it's not functioning according to its design. So I would assume that the designer would set right his design when he repairs all things. So that's one side of my thinking is just like, well, it makes more sense that the blind would see, the deaf would hear. But then like, does that mean sign language will be non-existent in a new creation? That, like, cause there's no, you know, mm. like, or like you said, there's certain, I, I, I've learned this recently that there are Really interesting, beautiful aspects of a deaf culture. I, I went to a, oh yeah, one of the largest deaf ministries in the world, Door International. The guy who helped me start, yeah, the center helped start that. Claire de Graff. I don't know if you know. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, yeah, so cool. I went to one of its headquarters in, in uh, Nairobi and sat there in the worship service with all deaf, and I'm like, there are, there's different things going on here that I'm like, I that. I wouldn't have been able to experience it. They wouldn't have been able to experience it if they weren't deaf. And and some one of the guys explained to me, yeah, there, yeah. there is a whole deaf culture. Like it's it's a whole, it's not just they can't hear. Like that has created this whole different cultural environment. Is all that going to be done away with if all the deaf are healed? So I don't know. It's a weird tension, you know? Um, and part it of it's is just, a weird know. tension. And I think a lot of people get really freaked out by that, especially like I teach at a conservative school, uh, like Moody Bible Institute is known as a very conservative theological school. And yeah. Moody Church is, I would say, theologically conservative, uh, not talking politically, politically more diverse, but uh, theologically conservative. A lot of people feel really uncomfortable when you talk about like deafness going on into eternity. Mm -hmm. But I think that's because we're so focused on the, the biomedical model. We're focused on that medical model as opposed to the social model. And even the deaf have a differentiation there that I don't think we typically think about. So like if you've done any work with the deaf, you've probably noticed that the deaf will typically use capital D, deaf. And that refers to deaf culture. So oh. you you wouldn't t say someone, oh, this is a, a deaf person with a lowercase d, because uh, that would just, that would j only uh, describe the physical reality that they're unable to hear. But the capital D talks about someone who's like, oh yeah, I'm deaf, but I'm in, I'm involved in the culture as a whole. Typically people who are capital D deaf will say, oh, I am deaf. And that's, that's part of their identity. Unlike a lot of the other 
people in the disability community, they have historically rejected people first language. So if you if you know people first language, it's like, uh, for example, someone with Down syndrome historically has said, hey, I don't want to be called Downs. Uh, rather, I want to be called a person with Down syndrome or a person who has okay. autism as opposed to being called autistic, though that's even creating some debate now. I know there's some people who prefer the, the title autistic, mm-hmm. but uh, but in, and that's in part because a culture has formed around those communities where there's greater pride in it. Mm-hmm. And for the deaf, I think I think as Christians, I think we can and should affirm that the capital D deaf, like that culture is going to go on into eternity. Does that mean that they won't be able to hear into eternity? I, I don't, I just, I don't think so. I don't think that there's going to be inhibitions, yeah. but I think the beauty of their culture that won't go away. What, yeah. What's made them, them and what they can introduce to the beauty of creation. Yeah. What it, I just, this is came, came into my mind. Like what about the beauty of music, you know, like that? Oh yeah. Is there a sad, like to me, there's a sadness that music is one of the few, I don't know, I, maybe it's not few, but like one of the things that transcends culture, like it does seem to be so mm-hmm. built into creation and just when something's out of tune, no matter what country you're in, no matter what language, no matter where it's people know that there's an in tune and there's out of tune, there's music that yeah. has the rhythm of creation built into it. Others that go again, you know, it's just, it's such a beautiful aspect of creation and, and, and to think that deaf people, can't hear that, you know, and I've, you know, I was born deaf in my left ear and my mom put me in sign language when I was a kid because, or lip, lip, actually lip reading class. I, I, Oh wow. I didn't continue. I don't know how to read lips, (laughs) but she was like, Hey, I mean, you're, I mean, if your other ear goes out, you're deaf. So, I mean, we would need to prepare you ahead of time for, for that. And I I probably will. I mean, people lose their hearing as they get old. I'll probably lose my hearing a lot quicker. Um, especially since I listen to really, really loud heavy metal music when I work out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, Preston, honestly, I'm so glad that you asked that question because I'm sure that like one or two of our deaf are at Moody Church are going to be watching this on YouTube with captions and they'll be like, you better say the right thing there uh, because that's actually one of the big debates in deaf culture, like or not debates, but probably I, sh- I should say it's one of the big frustrations within deaf culture that there's a perception that deaf don't enjoy music. Oh, in fact, okay, it's, a, yeah. it's a common trope that's used in like most deaf movies. And listen, I, I love these movies. Like I thought Coda was phenomenal. I have a lot of, I have deaf friends that hated Coda. Uh, <laughs> same thing with like Mr. Holland's Opus or yeah. all those things. But like this, this constant theme that typically comes up in deaf in movies that feature deaf actors is this sense that, Oh, the deaf don't enjoy music. So if you saw Coda on Apple TV, that was a big thing. It's like, Oh, well, why would you do music? We can't enjoy music or Mr. Holland's Opus. His son doesn't enjoy music. But actually, a lot of deaf really enjoy music. They enjoy one. They really enjoy the vibrations. So the vibrations are a big okay. part of it. And there's actually even a lot of deaf poetry groups that use music, that use the vibrations uh, to create something. And there's huh. there's actually so much around it. Like there are deaf choirs. There's a deaf choir here uh, in the city of Chicago that's uh, been around. It's a deaf church choir that I've been friends with uh, their leaders and different things. And so a lot of the deaf actually really enjoy music and being a part of yeah. uh, music and not everyone who's deaf has 0% hearing. Okay. Many do have hearing at certain pitches and okay. levels and they do enjoy that. So what, what I, what I want to get across is the fact that even within deaf culture, there is a way wow. in which to engage in music in beautiful ways with poetry 
like deaf poetry is really beautiful mm-hmm. and, and different. So like there's so many different ways of doing it. There's sometimes like so it, it changes the language in those moments. So like there's typical signs that you would use when you're trying to communicate a story. But when you're doing deaf poetry, you'll mostly use what are called classifiers, okay. which is basically you're kind of describing the picture with your hands rather than using the sign for it. And so if I was saying like, oh, uh, I'm going to sign here. So people who are doing the podcast like I do, I, I listen to the podcast when I'm on the treadmill uh, regularly. So they're not going to understand this uh, as much. But if I said, oh, I, I went for a walk through the park. Uh, which would be the sign for walk and then the sign for through and then P-A-R-K because park is a finger spelt word. Uh, instead, what you would do in like deaf poetry is you would put the sign for trees and you'd have like the trees maybe even moving and you'd have a person walk by the trees. And so there's hmm. a different way of doing it that has a beauty uh, that might even go with a beat or something else around it. And so so, so there, that's part of the deaf culture that is that kind of beautiful art is created can only be created because there is a deaf culture, deaf community. Exactly. Um, like, think about it. Like everyone else who does music, like there's very little, at least in American culture, of of using your your hands to communicate mm-hmm. music, to be able to go along with the beats. And that's something that the deaf bring. Now, there are plenty of different cultures that do use a lot of hands or different things. I think of yeah. Hawaiian culture and uh, we just did a luau for our uh, disability ministry this past Friday. So now I'm thinking about uh, the, the Hawaiian hula dancers. But yeah, like there, there's something about that. So the music, while there's certain aspects of music that a fully deaf person would not be able to enjoy or participate in, there's other aspects of music that they would be able to experience or enjoy more fully than somebody who's oh, not yeah. deaf, like the vibration aspect. And like, there's aspects of music that I'm not connecting with that because exactly. I'm so focused on the audio, the strictly audio, audio aspects of it. Is that, would that be true? I mean, there's. Oh, so true. When I was involved with the deaf church in New York, the first thing that just totally surprised me my first time there was that they had a deaf drummer. So the drummer went forward and he was drumming the beat to the song as someone led, uh, like led and everyone was copying the the signs that the leader was doing. But like I had never felt the vibrations in this music. And he was playing the same way that we'd play probably the song in like the drummer would play the song in the sanctuary with everyone else. But I was really feeling the the vibration and and being able to hear that along with every like feel that. And so like oftentimes mm. I'm not feeling as I'm, as I'm singing or as I'm wow. listening. And so there is something that they bring there, even the culture when, brings. When I worshiped with that deaf community in Nairobi, yeah, they had a bit, a drummer with a big, it was just, it was just like a, a circle, like probably 40 people maybe. Yeah. And, um, they had, it as a church service and it was so eye opening. There's so many, there's a lot of overlap yeah. with normal church service and other things that weren't. One of those shocking things that was like, Obviously a no brainer, but I just haven't experienced it was they don't close their eyes <laughs> during yeah. prayer. Like I was praying, I'm, I'm like this, and all of a sudden I look up, and he's like looking at you and looking at because they're the person praying, signing, and then they go to another person. Now it's like it was so participatory and so involved. Oh, yeah. I almost felt a little bit uncomfortable. Like I'm looking at everybody and they're looking at me, and you know, but like, yeah, that's we're praying. Of course we're gonna right. look at each other. <laughs> How else can you pray with your eyes closed, you know? But that drum, it was a thumb, dumb, dumb. And they were um a lot of clapping, a lot of uh, physical participation with the people yeah. because they were going with the the vibrations, the rhythm, and everything. And it was just like, wow, this is. There's just aspects of human experience that were that were drawn out here that 
I've, I've never experienced and, and they were beautiful. Exactly. Um, exactly. And so you look at things like that and you're like, wow, no, there's no way that that beauty doesn't have a role in God's eternal kingdom. But there are disabilities. Like, again, my father has chronic illness. He has Crohn's. He has an irreversible ileostomy. He is in constant pain, has been mm. in pain for, for years. Like, I, I don't uh, – my father is is not a Christ follower, uh, but I look at many people who are Christ followers who are uh, – who have diseases like that, and I, I look and I go, yeah, that doesn't seem like something that would – continue into eternity. Like hmm. pain does not, like, I, I don't see right. anything that, because, and that's, that's where I think the social model of disability really begins to be, begins to break down. Cause there are a lot of people who would talk about the different pain associated with their disability. Some people, uh, who experience quadriplegia, uh, I know that they just constantly have sores and all those hmm. things. And so there are some, uh, it's funny, there's a spectrum here because I have friends who have quadriplegia, who regularly say, they're like, no, like uh, my wheelchair is part of me. I don't see my wheelchair as a negative thing. I see it as something that liberates and frees me and allows me to move. Wow. And then I know other people who see uh, their wheelchair as something that they can't wait to send to hell when they get yeah. to heaven. Yeah. And so there's, a, that's why it's like, it's, you can't really speak for, for one <laughs> group of people here, but you can look and you can say, okay, there's, there's something here that is beautiful. And there are some things here that we have to say, it's like, no, that, that, that's going to be shed away and that's going to be good. And we're going to celebrate, uh, the heal. We're going to celebrate healing, right. uh, which will have a, which will have a medical side, but it'll also have a social side to it. That's good. So yeah. Lot, so even in deaf, with deaf and blind people, some would say, I would love to be healed. Other people are like, I'm good. Like I, this is part of my human experience that I don't want to see going away with because it's so wrapped up into who I am. And other people are like, I can't wait to get new eyes and a new creation. There's wide diversity and perspectives. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so much of a different, different perspectives there. And I, I get it. So like our ministry here focuses on the deaf, the blind, intellectual disabilities, uh, accessibility, uh, and then mental health. Okay. And I look at each of those areas and they're very, very different. Like each of those areas, you're going to have people who are going to say like, hey, I, this is part of me. I don't know what it would mean uh, to not have that. And then there are others who are like, no, I, I want this gone. So we're we're a church that's like in the middle of the city. We're in the heart of the city. We're uh, just a couple of blocks from Michigan Avenue. Mm. And so we have a, a pretty large homeless population. Uh, and with that, we have quite a few people who uh, experience schizophrenia. And you oh, look yeah. at some of them and like plenty of them would say like, listen, I want this gone. Yeah. Like I don't want to, to be this way. And then there are others you talk to and they're like, I'm not entirely sure who I would be if certain parts of this didn't continue on, which is so difficult because you're talking about a, hmm. a disability that truly alters your perception of reality. Yeah. Hmm. And so like there, there's so many questions in disability theology that are really unsettling. I think John Swinton brought one out in one of his lectures that I, I still wrestle with where he talks about a man who I think was brought to his hospital where he was a chaplain uh, who like believed himself to be the king of England or something like that. <laughs> uh, and the question was, is it right to give this man medicine? And then all of a sudden he realizes, no, he's homeless. He's has no connections to anyone. Uh, and he's really struggling or is it more benevolent to say, 
you know what, live in the reality of, <laughs> of your being incredibly wealthy. Like there's, give him a crown. <laughs> give him a crown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the same thing with, like the same thing with dementia. Like we know that like, at least here on this side of heaven, we know that it's better for a person uh, to be affirmed sometimes in, in their perception uh, for their healing. So an example I remember reading about a couple of years ago was uh, a grandfather uh, who is just constantly obsessed with monkeys coming loose in his yard. I think he lived like in Montana or something where there's not monkeys regularly getting loose in the yard. And the family kept like focusing on grandpa. There's no monkeys. There's no monkeys. And what they found that was most healing was actually like, okay, let's help grandpa round up the monkeys. <laughs> and once we round up all the monkeys, then we can have a conversation with him and like go from there. And so there's, there's all these different things about perception, like yeah. in our ministry to people now, how do we meet them where they're at? Mm. I think I just went on a rabbit trail there. I'm sorry. No, that you got my mind spinning. Cause I mean, uh, I immediately want to say like, no, we should align people with reality if we believe in certain, totally. but, but I, but you're throwing a wrench in that a little bit. Like, and I think I'm talking pastorally, like pastorally, pastorally how, yeah, how do yeah. we help someone to be able to get to reality? Is it yes, that we start yes, with yes, just yes. saying like, no, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. Uh, yeah. like I regularly have some people here with schizophrenia who have fights with people in the church that didn't happen. Uh, and it's, it's so heartbreaking. Like it's really heartbreaking because relationships are, are truly destroyed and the other member of the relationship doesn't even know what happened. Mm -hmm. And so they'll come, sometimes people will come to me as a pastor and they'll say, Hey, I, I really need your help. Cause they called me this, they said this. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's easy to start off with, no, that didn't happen. Right. Remember you have schizophrenia or I can meet them where they're at and seek to affirm all of reality around that, affirm their history with the person, talk with them about how that made them feel when they when they saw that or they heard that. Because some have uh, schizophrenia that is purely auditory. Some have schizophrenia that has an, uh, a hallucinative like part of that. And so what does it mean to, to affirm their reality, affirm their feelings and emotions, even if I'm not affirming uh, their perception? Like how do I affirm them for, for what they're really freaking out about and then help them to to find to find reality. It's the same yeah. thing with the grandpa who has uh, who believes that monkeys are released on his front yard in Montana. Yeah. It's like it's one thing to say no, there are no monkeys. It's another to say, you know what? I want to affirm that that he's freaked out right now. He's scared. Right, right, right. Yeah. He's feeling out of control. How do I help him regain control and then meet him in lucidity, yeah. as opposed to trying to force lucidity on him? Right. No, that's good. That's good. That's helpful. T tell us. Briefly about your church. I mean, this you're you're at a church that's it's very well aware of disability, and it sounds like you're you're attracting a lot of people that do have <laughs> have a disability. Is that okay for me? I, correct my language too. I want to learn and grow. Is that you know? It's I, I always so I'm I'm someone who is always going to use people first language uh, unless somebody tells me not to. Uh, and so people first language means exactly what you just did. People a with that has. Yeah, people okay. with a disability or people who have a disability, as opposed to saying disabled people. But everyone is different and people want different things. So a lot of people I talk to uh, who have acquired a diagnosis later in life, 
people like Lamar Hardwick and even other people at our church that I yeah. know, uh, but I know Lamar is known by uh, people who listen to your podcast because he's been on there. Mm -hmm. uh, like people who typically have a diagnosis later in life, I believe his came in his 30s, yeah, uh, yeah. will typically take the title of autistic. They're like, I am autistic. Okay. And they rejoice in that because it's a label that has given them freedom to understanding themselves. Whereas a lot of people who were raised with that diagnosis, they knew it, they're going to say, no, I don't I have so much more to me. Like I've, I was raised with an understanding of that. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm Chris, I'm John, I'm, I'm Adam. Like that's who my identity is first. Right. And then I, I happen to have autism. So I don't think there's necessarily okay. a right or wrong. I feel like I'm regularly finding out that you're going to offend somebody no matter what. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so you said the best default though, is to lead with people first language. And, yeah. and then if somebody doesn't prefer that, then make a change. Yeah, I would say lead with people first language, except when it comes to the deaf. <laughs> oh, the deaf are the deaf are pretty universally. Uh, they would say, "Hey, no, I'm deaf," okay. and so it's considered typically like uh, so. Hearing impaired is an awful phrase. We don't use hearing impaired. Oh. Uh, that's something that like I regularly have like been at conferences or spoken different places and been like, Hey, you really should change that sign. Don't say hearing impaired. It's uh seating for the deaf and hard of hearing. If you want to say that hard of hearing is um, deaf and hard of hearing. Uh, Cause those are two different categories of, of people within the deaf community that make up the deaf community. And so like, that's, that's fine, but we don't use hearing impaired, but yeah, broadly, I would say try to be loving and try just to try just don't don't be so afraid. I think so many people in the church are just afraid of interacting with with people yeah. who have disabilities. And it's it's incredibly problematic. Okay. Right? Like it's yeah. it's so incredibly problematic because all you need to do is say hi. Like yeah. all you need to do is yeah. say hi, introduce yourself. But the the fear that comes with people with disabilities has resulted in people with disabilities being among the most unchurched people yeah. in America. Yeah, and like so, you have yeah. to look like I think the statistics are one in 10 Americans. I'm, I could have that wrong. I believe it was one in 10 Americans have a disability. And yet most of us would look around our churches and mm. say, like, we don't we don't see that. Yeah. Like we don't see one in 10. I used to work for Johnny and Friends. If you know Johnny Eric yeah, Santana. Yeah, yeah. So I used to work as their urban engagement director for Johnny and Friends Chicago, like helping churches to, to really grow in their understanding of disability and love. And one of the most common responses I would get, because I was working for them and Moody Church at the time, they would say, well, can you just send them to your church? And I was like, no, no, no. I want to I help you yeah. to be able to love them well. And they're like, well, like, we're just not equipped for that. We're not. And it's it's such a problem, I think, when and this is this is more of an extreme thing, right? Like Jesus says, you're supposed to go for the one as opposed to the yeah. 99. Yeah, yeah. But what about it's when it's 10 instead of the 90 <laughs> and you're still like, at yeah. least it's 10 and you're saying, no, I'm, I'm not going to care for them. It's too difficult. Hopefully another church can. I thought can Lamar might've even said 20%. Don't quote me is on it that. 20? You're probably that right. might've been worldwide though. That might've been worldwide. Um, yeah, but it, either way, 10 to 20, that that's, I mean, he said, People with disabilities are the largest minority population on earth. That's definitely true. Yeah. You know what? It is 20%. I just looked it up because I oh. thought I was probably wrong. Wow. So yeah. Okay. So it's, yeah, it's a uh, 26% have some kind of, which is kind of wild. Something that would be categorized as a disability that might include mental health or no, no, men mental health would be higher than that. Oh yeah. It's much higher than yeah. that. Uh, yeah. yeah. So but you're a like, church, you're, yeah. you're a church where this topic is front and center. Um, 
what does your church look like that it that makes it a lot more welcoming um, for people with a disability than maybe other churches? Well, I would say that we have a very, very long way to go. So yeah, uh, I, I don't I don't think that we have arrived. I think the fact that even I am the the pastor for disability ministries is a sign that we have not arrived. I think truly like disability ministry is just like just ministry. We, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we will have succeeded, I think, when all of a sudden we say like, oh, there's there's no need for a pastor for disability ministries like people with disabilities are integrated and loved in every area of the church. And so uh, one of my friends, Dan Vanderplatt, who works for Elam, he wrote a, a book about this called There Is No Asterisk. And mm. Dan says that there are five stages of attitudes toward disability. I'm not sure if you've ever seen that five stages chart. No. Uh, so if, if anyone's interested, you can look it up on Google, five stages of attitude toward disability. And what, what I love about it is it says, listen, it starts with uh, ignorance. So again, you think of like the disciple who says, who sent this man or his parents that he's born blind? It's like that's, that's the ignorance stage. Then from ignorance, you move to pity, right? Where you're like, wow, I just, I feel really bad that, that this person is, this person is blind. It must be so hard. And it's like, that's better than ignorance, but that's not where we want to stop. Mm -hmm. And then it comes to care where we go, you know what, maybe I should do something mm -hmm. about this person who, who has a disability among me. Maybe I can, I can guide them to the bus. You know, like when, when the church service is over, I can offer my, my arm and say, Hey, would you want to take my arm? And I can, I can walk you over to the bus stop and then friendship is the next stage, the fourth stage, which says, you know what, not only am I just going to walk you to the bus, uh, but I actually want to develop a friendship with you. I want to know your likes and your dislikes. I want to go to coffee. Uh, I want to share a meal. I want to enjoy time with you. But the, the ultimate goal is number five, which is co-laborer, where it's not simply that it's like, oh, I'm your friend. It's not simply that I care for you. It's not simply that I feel bad for you. Uh, but it's actually the point where where all of those get transformed to the point where we say, hey, you have a role in building God's kingdom and you have a role in ministering to me and I have a role in ministering to you. And we are actually co-laboring in the kingdom of God together, walking in the same direction. And if so, typically in membership classes at Moody Church, we always start with talking about disability and saying like, hey, where do people think we are? And so mm -hmm. people will see the interpreter in the front of the sanctuary. People will hear about our class for adults with intellectual disabilities. It's called co-laborers or they'll <laughs> hear about our buddy programs, mental health ministry, all these different things. And they'll go, ah, surely Moody Church, we're at a five or they'll say we're at a four. And as someone who can kind of do a bird's eye view, I'm like, we're like two to three. We're like pity <laughs> to, to care. Like we've got some care ministries. We have a couple people that are friends, very few that are really working and like co-laboring in ways that I would love to see that we're, we're working on that. But it's a long way to go, I think. And so I, I would say that we're trying. And I think yeah. that's I think that's huge. And I think so many in the disability world right now who have been regularly pushed away mm -hmm. from the church, who have been told, like, I have so many people in our ministry that they came to us because they were asked to leave another church. And so just to, to be able to say, hey, listen, we have a place for you. We have a room set up for uh, if, you're, if your loved one is really struggling during the service, maybe you yourself are experiencing overstimulation. We have a room where you can watch the service and we have sensory tools and different things mm -hmm. so that you can, you can experience, you can worship, but in a way that's not going to completely unsettle you, a, a way that yeah. you can be a part of the body of Christ. So we have 
a whole bunch of different venues to be able to do that even in. I, I so. want to get the, I want, this is, I love these five stage stages. So ignorance, yeah, five stages. ignorance, pity, care, friendship, co-laborer. You got it. So this maps perfectly on the LGBTQ conversation. Dude, totally. I mean, I totally. Love, a lot of what you're saying does, especially when you're talking about the identity piece and people, you know. Um, oh, yeah. But th this is, each one is exactly like how, when people say we want to disciple and care for and reach out to, you know, the LGBT community and all these things. Like I, that co like going from, I mean, a lot of churches I would say are, ignorance to pity the really good ones are still in the sometimes care very few are in the friendship co-laborer and that's really i'm oh, like totally yeah i always ask you know i come in a lot of churches have me come in and talk to their leadership team and i always there's a question i always throw out i said would you hire a gay pastor oh it's so fun just a facial expressions and just oh, yeah. like, all the like <laughs> angst or you know some some of the ones are like well, you tell us where so you know, like I'm like, well, first of all, you need to ask, what do you mean by gay? You know, and and if a human Christian is following a Christian sexual ethic and um, whatever their temptation is, but they're following a Christian sexual ethic, if there's still a glass ceiling on like leadership, if they cannot teach, preach, be yeah. a pastor, then you're not. I would say that's kind of the ultimate test. Can you sit at the feet of somebody who is attracted to the same sex? has a different set of temptations you wrestle with, but is committed to the same yeah. gospel, committed to the same Jesus, committed to the same sexual ethic. If you cannot sit at the feet of that person, I would say you're still, we still have a, a ways to go. And people who are living pretty challenging lives and, and committed to holiness at all odds against them. If even that person is not, if you can't sit at their feet, then there's, we, we still have a lot of work to do in, in kind of our, are thinking. So I, this is, I'm going to, can I use this? So who do yeah. I need to quote to use yeah. it? It was the guy. Use it. Dan, it's Dan Vanderplatt. Yeah. Dan Vanderplatt, uh, his book, uh, there is no asterisk. Uh, and he talks about it. You can just, again, you can Google it, uh, five stages of attitudes towards disabilities, but I think you're absolutely right. There's so much that aligns with the story of the disability community and the LGBT community. I think one of the things that I found, especially cause there's so much of an interaction, uh, yeah. with the deaf community. Like I, I was working with Christopher Yuan a few mm -hmm. years ago. I think, you know, Christopher, yeah, yeah. uh, and like we were talking about this, just the, the storyline, the idea that so many, like it's the statistics are kind of remarkable when you find how many deaf uh, parents of deaf children don't know sign language. And so they have like really? a home language, but not true communication, especially because there are there's a good amount of people who are deaf who are immigrants. And so their parents were learning another language. Like back in New York, we had quite a few people from Bolivia uh, who like developed rebel, like the mother developed rubella and then their child was born deaf. And like, so all these different things, like they came here trying to learn English. And so American sign language just wasn't added into all of that. And then sometimes you just have parents that, that choose not to learn American sign language for one reason or another. I can't get into all of that, but that under that feeling of like, Hey, I, I don't fit into this, the rest of this world. I don't fit into my family. Uh, I was born this way. I didn't choose it. Like I have a different way of communicating than everybody else. Like there tends to be uh, a story that really does map onto each other. Mm -hmm. And so there tends to be just great compassion between these two communities, which I think does lend itself toward often working together in different ways. And, and they have, uh, for 
the outcome that it, that it's brought. Yeah. What, um, we can wrap things up. What, what, if somebody's listening they're a pastor of a church or they're an influencer in a church and they're like, yeah, we've got, you say you got a ways to go. We need to get started on, on, on the way. Um, what are yeah. some big picture things that would you say, and you can be bold if you want, it's fine. Um, like what are oh, some okay. things that like, man, these are non, these are every Christian church should at least be doing this, this, and this just as a basic expression of the gospel toward 20% of the population that might not currently resonate with how your church is going about things. Oh, that's so hard. I'm trying to think of what, what, what to start. <laughs> I think, I think the word I want to use is ramps, build ramps, Okay. <laughs> start somewhere and build ramps. And so that might be physical ramps for like, it's like, Hey, we have a room that's unaccessible. Our sanctuary is inaccessible, put a physical ramp there, but also be thinking about what does it mean to build social ramps? Okay. So what does it mean to build social ramps so that people can be truly involved in all aspects of the culture of your church. And I think that that can look like simply bringing a whole bunch of people into a room saying, Hey, we just want to do a forum with people who have disabilities in our church. And we just want to hear from you all. Like, what is it that you need? Like, so don't assume the need, but figure out what is the need and then try to meet there to begin with. So like when we did that eight years ago, one of the first things is that we had, a, we had quite a few people in our congregation who are blind and they said to us, uh, and blind is another community that typically they do uh, say that blind first. I know that's confusing. Again, every community is a little different. Blind and uh, deaf lead these, with blind and deaf, yeah, not person with blind. For the most part. Yeah, that's I'd say the, for the average, like that's that's the way it's going to be. Uh, but for our blind congregants, like they said, when you do a new song, we have no idea what's going on. Right. And I was like, what? And like when you do scripture reading, we can't follow. And we were like, we never thought about that. And so we decided, like, okay, how much will it cost? And it's not expensive to send out the music the week ahead of time and braille the songs to be really? able to braille the wow. things or. Some of our, and then, but you do want to, you don't want to assume that everyone who's blind knows Braille. Many people don't okay. and they don't know how to use Braille. And so what you might want to do is you might say, Hey, listen, can we get them a seat partner so that when we do like a really cool video that has no words, but just has like, uh, has no spoken words, but only written words on the screen, someone could be next to them and just tell them what the video is saying, or be able to give them the verse, like, Hey, they're about to say this line before this song. So I'd say, figure out what are the social ramps, whether it's an interpreter, whether it's all those things and figure out that first, figure out what the need is. And then one other thing I would say is I think one of the biggest excuses I've heard from pastors over the years about why they, they don't have a disability ministry. And again, I don't even like that term because I don't, yeah. I'm not, I don't think everyone should have a disability ministry. Yeah. Really, that, that doesn't but it's a mean that you it's a good start, right? I it's mean, a start. Yeah. yeah, it can be a good start. Like okay. I'm, I'm not advocating that I lose my job here at all. So <laughs> if, my, if my staff is hearing this, that's not what I'm saying, right? Uh, but I think one of the biggest things I hear from people about why they're not doing anything for those with disabilities in their community is because they regularly say, well, we don't have anyone with a disability at our church. Yeah. <laughs> I know you're what gonna... <laughs> I want to, what I want to point point back to is like, Hey, if you don't have anyone with disabilities in your church, that's your problem. Yeah. That like, you need why to don't you have it <laughs> there? Like I live in Chinatown. So I live in Chinatown here in Chicago. If I started a congregation or I started a house church and there was nobody Chinese, I think right. everyone would say, wow, you really haven't reached your community. That doesn't right. make sense. Like Chinatown, Chicago is like 90% Chinese. Yeah. 
if America and the city even more so is 20 something percent people with disabilities, if it's 13 percent those with uh, physical disabilities, it's six percent those uh, who are deaf. Like if that's not showing up in your congregation, you've got a problem. Yeah. Like you're not you're not truly contextualizing. And I, I would just encourage any pastors listening to say, hey, maybe we should do a survey on on our zip code, figure out who actually is in here and figure out if maybe we have a problem, if we haven't been contextualizing well. Eric, man, this is so much to chew on. Thank you so much for everything. There's a lot more we could talk about, but I'm excited to see you at the next, the conference next year. Um, yeah. I don't know if I've made it by the time this is released. Uh, yeah, registration's open now and we do have, so we have Lamar coming out. Um, oh, that's gonna be awesome. We have, I'm still trying to solidify, there's like a few other people I'm, I'm, I'm working on and I haven't really talked to him yet. So I don't want to say it public. By the time this releases, maybe I'll already have talked to him. Um, I also have Devin stalls coming out. Do do you know Devin? I don't, but that sounds like a great lineup you've got coming. Yeah. So she was on the podcast a while back because she's a theology of disability. She has MS. But oh, it's I did. Been, I heard her speak. Yeah, she's podcast. super. I, heard, I listened to that episode. Yeah, so I really want Lamar to kind of give a ecclesiological perspective, Devin to give a theological, right. and then I want some a few more practical people who are kind of boots in the ground ministry. Um, and yeah, I'm excited, man. This is an area that I just I, I have lots of passions and interests, and this is one that's like, man, I I, I don't have, I, I can't devote. I've got other things I'm devoting my full time attention to, but this yeah. is always just right there nagging on the, on my heart, tugging at my heart. And I just, I, I am, I am passionate and, and well, growing in passion for the church to be more of a, the holistic body of Christ toward the largest minority yeah. population, you know, and we have so many examples of, you know, the gospel going out to people who are uh, physically atypical. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate your perspective and, and grace. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Really enjoyed talking with yeah. you. This show is part of the Converge Podcast Network.